0: You're listening to the Co-Main Event podcast and now your hosts Ben Folks and Chad Dundas.
1: That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts podcast. I'm your co-host from Bleacherreport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining me as always from MMA Junkie in USA today it's your friend and mine Mr. Ben Folks Ben how you doing this week I'm doing all right how you doing wearing your coat inside it's a little chilly
0: I guess so yeah I'm not afraid to wear my coat inside well, clearly not not be shamed for it either
1: Well given all the people on the live stream uh a little up close and personal look at your denim coat with your uh what is that faux sheepskin lining it's very
0: warm it's very cozy I can see the jealousy all over your face. I mean,
1: you, I'm not saying you don't look like a, an extra from Karate Kid.
0: Come on. I'm at least a supporting actor from yeah, Karate Kid. I got some lines in Karate Kid. You and Daniel LaRousse
1: are on your way to a costume party right now. Ben just a few hours left to uh, buy cowboy astronaut cigarette shirts. A in. few hours? And then they are gone forever.
0: Dear God.
1: Or are they?
0: I think we both know the answer to that.
1: Well, there's some exciting changes coming up to CottonBureau.com. We'll tell you guys about that next week once it's live. But for now, a shout out to our dudes, Johnny Ashcroft and Landon Armstrong, the two fabulous individuals who created the Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirts. If you have any design needs at all, we urge you to get with them. Johnny Ashcroft's personal website is electricapostle.co and Landon Armstrong's website is LandonLArmstrong.com, so check them out. The CME Book Club went down last Friday. It was awesome. It was awesome. We got uh, some thoughtful comments from a co-main event mom. We did. We talked about the Sisters Brothers. Indeed. Talked about the Sisters Brothers movie. We got to say the word picaresque a whole bunch. That showing, was enjoyable for everybody. Showing off our vast literary vocabularies yeah. and whatnot. Good news is, if you didn't get in for the Sisters Brothers, we've already decided what we're going to do for our next book club. Yay! Hey. We're going to do No Country for Old Men. By Cormac McCarthy. By the god, Cormac the McCarthy. The big homie, Cormac McCarthy. Several things I like about doing No Country for Old Men for the Co-Main Event Podcast Book Club. Okay. Seems like an easy buy-in. Yeah. For the kids at home. Uh, I feel strongly that the people will like the uh, the book itself. Maybe some people have seen the fabulous Coen Brothers movie adaptation, but have not read the book. Still worth it. Uh, I feel that the book and the movie are quite complementary. They are. Of one another. So, whereas we pretty much straight up panned both Fletch, the movie version.
0: Begged people not
1: to see it. And the sisters' brothers. Advised them not to see it. The movie version of No Country for Old Men is pretty badass.
0: In fact, I mean, I kind of hate to admit it because the thing we said about the Fletch one was don't think you can just not read the book see the movie, and roll into the book club like you know what the fuck you're talking about. But in this case, you probably could yeah. do
1: that. It's a faithful adaptation.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you are going to miss some of the subtleties, though.
0: Yeah, there are a couple very subtle things that I think are really nice touches in the book that are not in the movie for reasons I'm sure we'll discuss.
1: So, so if you want to get down with that, get yourself a copy of No Country for Old Men. I'm sure it's available on all of your e-readers. It is. Uh, we're going to set a date for that.
0: Yeah, maybe it's next very- week. Well, we'll set the date next week. Yeah, yeah. we won't be okay. doing the All book club right. next week. It's a very slow, slow your roll. A very quick read, from what I remember. Um, it is
1: a, it is a quick read because it's from the uh, the later Cormac McCarthy period, where there's basically like no description.
0: Right, it's and just
1: flat out what you need to
0: know. One of the discussion topics I plan to bring to this book club is: Did Cormac McCarthy decide? Screw your literary love. I want to get paid mofos and then write no country for old men.
1: It's possible. I mean, I, I have a feeling he was probably doing all right to begin with, but, uh, you never know. No quotation marks.
0: Now I got that Bentley money.
1: That's how no nonsense. No fucking around. Cormac McCarthy is. Yeah. He ain't got time for your quotation. That's marks. right. The, uh, Patreon power hour rolls on every Friday. We're bringing you an extra hour of the podcast strictly for our fine patrons over at uh, patreon.com slash co-main event. Uh, We sent out our first Tips for the Well-Rounded Fight Fan email last week.
0: Some good stuff in there. Some
1: great stuff in there. I got to
0: say, you recommended a punk band in there that I had not heard of. I was like, okay, let's see whatever punk band Chad thinks will help him cling to his youth. And then I started listening to it, and I was like, okay, this is actually pretty dope.
1: Yeah, those guys are really fucking good. Really good. Uh, I also recommended a leg of lamb recipe that I hope everyone's making for the holidays. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll be interested to hear how many people make that leg of lamb.
1: I mean, it sounds gross.
0: You lost me at anchovy paste. You would
1: have lost me too. But then when you make it, it's actually pretty delightful.
0: Now, it forced me to picture you over here roasting anchovies.
1: You know what I'm doing? Raising the bar. I'm not playing it close to the vest. I'm not after a conservative strategy for Tips for the Well-Rounded Fight fan. No, you're
0: you're not playing it safe.
1: I'm coming out swinging.
0: Okay. That's how it ought to be. Let's see if you can maintain that.
1: Uh, stickers and koozies are in production, correct, for our, for sh- all of our patrons? They should
0: be ready here in the next week or so. There you go. Ready then. to go
1: out. Then we'll start mailing those out. Uh, ben, tell the kids how they can get down with the Patreon if they need to do it. Well, Chad, you go to patreon.com slash co-main event. It's where you can get
0: down with us. All kinds of extra content over there. Uh, different tiers from $1 to $5 to $10 with the rewards you get escalating from there. Guess how many patrons we're at right now?
1: 850. 841. Oh, we're almost there. Come on, people.
0: Just trying to work our way up to 900 to trigger the Affliction Day of Reckoning Drinking Challenge, which will be fun for all of us, except for Chad, who might die. Uh, Until we get there, you know
1: what time it is. We all know what time it is.
0: It's time for a personal quote from
1: Channing Tatum. We rue the day that Channing Tatum quotes roll out week after week.
0: This one, uh, important context, this was his response to being told that People magazine had named him the twenty twelve Sexiest Man Alive. Okay. <clears throat> Lay it on me. Y'all are messing with me.
1: That's it? That's, that's the whole it. quote? That's the quote. You know what? That's that's weirdly likable. Okay. Yeah. That's the thing about Channing Tatum, right? So you kinda want to hate him, but he actually seems like he's probably a pretty cool dude. Personally,
0: I have a much more eloquent speech prepared for when I am named
1: Sexiest Man Alive. It's kind of like, uh, that's, that's the, that's your top moment though, right? Sexiest Man Alive 2012. That's six years ago. What do you think?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you're like, for all we know, ours is still in the future.
1: And he, he may have fallen on hard times. When was the last
0: time you saw Channing Tatum? I mean... I feel like I saw him in a movie pretty recently, but okay.
1: He's probably rolling around, horseshoe hairline, huge beer gut, just I, telling stories to the young folks at the bar about the time he was the sexiest man alive, 2012.
0: Well, up until a point, you were describing yourself. <laughs> and then you it, it took a, a
1: turn. We got music again this week from our friend Dion Rodriguez, a music producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast... You can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, that's the word beats with a Z. Beats. I feel like if I had a horseshoe hairline and a huge gut, I'd be wearing that jacket that you have on right now.
0: Get over the jacket. It's cool. You wish you had it. You don't. That's your life. It's, you have to make your peace with that.
1: Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, breaking news. Reports are coming in that there were a ton of fights over the weekend. From Las Vegas to Adelaide. How back is Junior Dos Santos? How pretty is Big Pretty Justin Willis? And hold on. I've just been handed a note alleging that Shogun Hua defeated Tyson Pedro. We're trying to get confirmation on that in real time. And in round number two, the UFC reboots its women's flyweight division with a title fight between a strawweight and a bantamweight. But ain't nobody complaining because it's Valentina Shevchenko versus Joanna, former champion. And in round number three, Speaking of Ain't Nobody Complaining, Brian Ortega versus Max Holloway. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Curtis Bouchard, who writes, Santiago Ponzanibio, Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington. If it were up to you, which one fights Tyron Woodley next? And do the other two fight each other? So Ben... We had some, I don't know if it was a shakeup per se, but at the Ultimate Fighter Season 1004 live finale over the weekend in Las Vegas, Kamaru Usman went out there and got himself a big win over Rafael Dos Anjos. That's right. I believe that was the main event, Yes, five-round main event. Uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio, as we all know, recently picked up a big win. Colby Covington out there living his life, just waiting for that title shot he's been promised to come his way. Where are you at on this? Because we got a three headed monster of 170 pound contenders right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, good problem to have, I guess. Yeah. For me, I say Colby Covington gets the next shot. You already did the thing where you had him fight for the interim belt. He won it. Then you decided you wanted to take it away from him right after he showed up in the Oval Office to pal around with Donald Trump with it. Uh, I think you got to give him that shot. Plus, he seems like the guy that. Tyron Woodley is actually interested in beating up and remember when that was a rare thing that kind of emerged out of nowhere was Tyron Woodley making this video talking about like I actually want to go out there and hurt this guy and we're going all right the, the one thing people been the knock on Tyron Woodley is he's clearly so skilled he can do so much and you just wish that somebody else were at the controls or something. Somebody were making him be a little more aggressive going after these people. And now here's a guy who he actually wants to beat up. Why would we not make that fight?
1: Are you sitting over there right now telling me that what Tyron Woodley said to Colby Covington was, I'll beat your ass?
0: <laughs> in so many words, he said he threatened to beat his ass. He also, uh, you know, he has that little TMZ show. I don't know if you've seen that. It's like an online TMZ show. Tyron Woodley does? Hollywood Beatdown.
1: Oh, get that paper,
0: Tyron. Yeah. Uh, But on it, he was trying to basically come up with a way to convince Colby Covington to forego takedowns and catch these hands. Okay. Uh, Which is interesting. Tells you something that Tyron Woodley himself, a former high-level college wrestler, wants to go out there and fight Colby Covington with them both agreeing no wrestling.
1: Yeah. Probably
0: not going to get that agreement from Colby Covington.
1: That's janky as far as I'm concerned. I feel like from a promotional standpoint, you're right, because we all know what Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley are going to do in the lead up to their fight. And unfortunately, it's the kind of thing that a lot of people seem to want to watch. To me, it seems kind of dirty, doesn't it? Aren't we just mining the popular political culture, sort of playing this game of exploiting uh, America's biggest problems in order to, like, make a couple bucks off a? a f- 25 minute MMA fight. Since when has that been a problem for the fight game? The just, fight
0: game has been doing that forever. No, I. That's all. Lee Fraser was doing the same thing.
1: I hear you, but at this point, we have a little bit more self awareness.
0: No, no, we don't. Not in the fight game, we don't. It
1: just feels a little uh, dirty to me.
0: But I, I mean, I would agree if that were the only reason we were doing it. I mean, Colby Covington, he legitimately won the damn fights. You put him in that interim title fight with Rafael dos Anjos, he beat him. It wasn't a question. He he, uh, he went out there. He won the fight. He became the interim champion. But really, he be- he got the token that you get to cash in later for the title shot. And now you can't just keep skipping the guy, especially if you're going to skip him in favor of somebody like Kamara Usman, who what did he do to uh, supposedly earn this title shot? Beat Rafael dos Anjos.
1: Beat the same guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it means less to beat him now than it does when, did when Colby Covington beat him.
1: Listen, you make a lot of sense when you speak your mind. And you also know the folks at the UFC don't give a damn about that. <laughs> True, Nobody cares about Colby Covington's interim championship or what he's been promised. And I'm here to say, I feel like it's pretty hard to say no to Kamaru Usman right now. If I had to pick one of the three guys, I mean, you can't lose, frankly, with the three guys on this list. Any one of them is going to go out there and maybe give you a crackerjack and be a compelling opponent for Tyron Woodley. Are you saying
0: can't lose from an
1: athletic standpoint or from a
0: promotional standpoint?
1: From an athletic standpoint, because we're watching the damn fight anyway. So who cares about the rest of it? UFC does, but all right. Yeah, and we don't care what they care about. So here we are. Uh, Tyron Woodley... Needs himself a compelling opponent. I feel like any of these three guys are a compelling opponent. The Kamaru Usman, Rafael Dos Anjos fight that went down over the weekend. Remember when last week we were having a discussion, like a uh, fellow wrote in from across the pond saying that he made a big mistake with his girlfriend, uh, right. keeping her up to watch the, uh, the 4 a.m. prelims, trying yes. to get her hooked into being a shit-eating wild person for, really for MMA.
0: Predictable mistake.
1: I would also say, like, you wouldn't necessarily want to show someone Kamaru Usman versus Rafael Dos Anjos if you were like, this is going to be your new jam. But at the same time, if you are a fight fan, this was like a gritty war between two absolute technicians who were out there just doing all their stuff for 25 minutes. Ended up being a fairly one-sided win for Kamaru Usman. But at the same time... You also remember that Rafael Dos Anjos is a dude that, like, when he goes out there and fights people, when it's over, I'm often like, he's just really damn good. Yeah, I frequently forget how good RDA is, and then I watch him fight, and he's just, like, making people look silly. From a logic
0: standpoint, how do you justify telling Colby Covington your win over Rafael Dos Anjos was not enough to get you the title shot? However, Kamaru Usman, your win over Rafael Dos Anjos, who had just lost to Colby Covington... That was enough to get you to title shot.
1: You you see, you just played yourself bringing up logic. <laughs> Nobody has time for your logic. All you're saying over is here. like
0: yours happened most recently. Yes. Therefore, it's the thing you get I just it. saw. Unless Kamara Usman decides he needs surgery or something for an injury sustained in the fight and then forget it. Like suddenly your accomplishments mean nothing. I say you go Colby Covington. It ought to be a no brainer. Usman and Ponzanibio fight each other. Whoever comes out of that is by far a legitimate number one contender. Maybe Boom. I just
1: don't want to see good things happen for Colby Covington.
0: I'm with you there. Like on a personal level, like, but still the, the stuff has to mean something. they like, if, if you do this, then this happens that, that needs to retain some
1: place in the whole, like fighting hierarchy. You know, it would mean something to me. What? If the Gen De Boa got to knock out Colby Covington, the good fella, Santiago Ponzanibio.
0: How about Colby company and go out there and get those hands?
1: <laughs> well, that might be fun could beat that. Ass. That might be fun too. Next question. who he comes to us from Devin Scott. He writes disclaimer. I am a super casual boxing fan, but I really enjoyed watching Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury. As, as much as I thought Wilder looked like a Beyonce Mad Max cosplay matchup, I, I liked it because it was memorable. I'd be interested to hear the discourse of what you liked about Wilder versus Fury and how it compared to UFC Fight Night 142. What did you think of Fury's Undertaker impression and of the bout's conclusion? Now, full disclosure, Ben, I'm going to come out and say I don't think either of us have watched this entire boxing fight. No,
0: I've only seen it in clips. I was watching the UFC for work that same night,
1: but yeah. I feel like we saw the best of it, right? I mean, we saw the Undertaker moment. Which was awesome. That was awesome. Tyson Fury ho- gets knocked into the Blacklands and then hoists himself up off the canvas. Comes back to finish the fight, ends up uh, in a fight. I think a lot of people said he should have won, ends up scoring a split draw, which nobody likes that. But here you are.
0: The The best part was at first I thought the best part was him sitting up like that, especially when it's set to the Undertaker music, which you're just teeing the Internet up for that one. Yeah. Uh, the best part, though, is Wilder's face when he sees him get up like, no, you better get the hell back down there. You did not just get up from that. Yeah. And just being like, damn it you could just see him go through several different emotions in that one split second.
1: We are in agreement though. Are we not that combat sports as a whole is probably better off when there is some kind of compelling heavyweight boxing thing happening. Like I, I would like Devin Scott, I assume have am a casual boxing fan. I followed the, uh, Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury stuff leading up to the fight, kind of at arm's length. There was another awesome video uh, where Esther Lynn, they were having the big uh, yes. on-stage confrontation, and uh, premier combat sports photojournalist Esther Lynn kind of rose up from the back <laughs> it's, it's of the crowd. The
0: tiniest person there on the stage <laughs> managed to get up there
1: to get the shots that she needs. So, like, a lot of fun stuff was happening in the lead up to this even though it's not like commanding a tremendous amount of my attention, just knowing that it's out there makes me feel good somehow, like reassured, comforted in some way that like fun stuff is happening in the heavyweight division of boxing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And for some reason it feels like it feels different than the way I feel about needing to have interesting stuff happening in the heavyweight division of MMA. I mean, I think it's, it's cool when he- fun stuff happens in the heavyweight division in MMA, but maybe because the way the UFC took shape, were light heavyweight for a time. was That was kind of our heavyweight division. It's when Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, Tito Ortiz were all kicking around there at the same time. Like for us, it feels like it's a little something extra when right. we actually have legit heavyweight action going on in MMA. Yeah. Boxing needs the heavyweight title to mean something
1: though. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, like uh, heavyweight boxing even still, and to people like me who aren't necessarily like watching every moment of it, it still has this weird sort of like panache. It has this weird gleam to it, where even though I'm not looking directly at it, I know it's out there yeah. and I like it. I like that it's there. Uh, interestingly enough, there's ex- interesting stuff having it happening in the UFC heavyweight division right now. And frankly, when Shogun Hua and uh, Ty- Tyson Pedro were having their Kind of brawl on on Saturday night. I had kind of like weird tingly flashbacks of, oh, this is a, a fun fight, a cool fight is happening at light heavyweight, like kind of similar. Yeah, because like that's what we are conditioned to expect is for light heavyweight to be awesome. Hasn't been awesome in a while. No. So like even though you know. It's not like Shogun Hua is going to backflip his way into a title shot against John Jones and suddenly be the champion or something like that. Just watching those two guys throw down, I was like, yeah, this is good. More of this. This yeah. is what I like.
0: Far from the just shut it down right. version of Chad <laughs> Dundas' thoughts on the light heavyweight division.
1: Next question this week comes to us from Mitchell Davies, who sounds like he probably plays midfield for a English Premier League soccer team. He writes, after knocking out Alex Perez twice on Friday, Joseph Benavides somehow became the first flyweight to actually protest the end of the division. His points were certainly interesting. Think about it. When Anderson Silva was dominant some eight years ago, everyone was saying how lackluster the division was and how no one stood a chance. Sure enough, not long after his downfall, the division is one, if not the most, competitive in the UFC. Is this at all possible for flyweight, or should we give up hopes like Dana White because they aren't selling right now? Please, discourse. Now, a couple interesting things about uh, Benavidez Perez. First of all, we called a do-over, right? In the middle of this fight, which... Is weird to think that that's something that can still happen yeah. at the highest level of mixed martial arts. Second, does Joseph Benavidez have a point that now that uh, Demetrius Johnson has shuffled off to another continent, is is flyweight somehow more interesting, and would flyweight be better off if a guy like Joe B had the strap?
0: Yeah, you know, he he was making this point in the days before the fight, and. Doing a really excellent job of making the argument. You know, he's a smart guy, yeah. and uh he can really lay it out for you in a way that makes sense and make, like, calm, rational points, which, as we've pointed out on this very episode, don't always get you where you want to go in the world of professional mixed martial arts. But he did make good points about how, you know, you, you can say a weight class just isn't interesting, people, but... The UFC has really only had one flyweight champion right. in its entire history of having flyweights. And, you know, until recently when Henry Cejudo won the title, you'd only had Demetrius Johnson. And he he did make good points about it, like comparing it to Anderson Silva, where you had those fights like Anderson Silva versus tallis latus and stuff where people were like, not super into it. But what else is there for him to do? He's beat everybody else. And then, as soon as the Anderson Silva era was over, you saw a lot of turnover at the top. And now, I think, as he correctly pointed out, you look at like the top five guys or so at middleweight, and you're like, well, any of them could conceivably end up with a championship sometime soon. Yeah. And plus, I think if you were actually looking at what you were getting in the fights themselves from the flyweights, I don't see what there is to complain about. You're getting really good action. Like just this weekend, you know, that you had that fight. Uh, and then you had, uh, the, uh, uh, uh Wilson Hayes and, uh, Ben Nguyen had a good fight. Uh, the fight of the night in the, the uh, ultimate fight night in, uh, Australia. That was a flyweight fight. Like you're getting good actual fights from these people. So if what you're saying is just like yeah, people can get excited about lightweights, they can get excited about featherweights, they can even get excited about bantamweights, but that extra two pounds or the extra 10 pounds is just too much for them. They, they can't possibly get interested in it. I don't really buy that.
1: Yeah, I am blanket opposed to killing off the flyweight division, as I think all of the good hearted, right thinking people of the world are, because like you said, it just doesn't make sense to me to like end an entire division just because it's quote unquote not selling unless we are in a fire sale situation where the UFC just needs to cut bodies from the payroll, which maybe that's true. I don't know
0: whether or not it is. Well, then by all means, let's keep having seasons of the ultimate fighter to add bodies to the payroll.
1: But I think Joseph Benavidez, like you said, makes a really compelling point here uh, in that, okay, let's say we are going to kill off the flyweight division. It seems weird to do it now. Right? Like we had Demetrius Johnson, who is one of the greatest MMA fighters in the short history of the sport. Uh, the Co Main Event podcast are big fans of his. But if the UFC viewed him as a detriment, as it's a 125 pound champion, well, now you got a new one. And now you've got a, a completely revitalized contender list. You got fun guys like Joseph Benavidez. We haven't uh, got to see what Henry Cejudo has to offer as champion really yet. I would say let's play out the string a little bit here and see see what can happen. I don't know that flyweight is ever going to be uh you know the top grossing weight class in the company, but it's it's still can provide quality action and and like we say over and over again on the show, especially now that you're moving over to ESPN, it seems like you are going to need tons and tons of people who can do that.
0: Doesn't it seem though like some minds are already made up at yes. the UFC. Yes. It doesn't seem like we're really sitting around thinking about it anymore. It seems like the wheels are in motion to do it.
1: No, I agree with you. And I think that that opens up an opportunity for places that are not the UFC. And that brings us to our last two questions. Okay. This one from Sean Japan, who you'll, you'll notice the context here when I read it. But like, uh, I don't know if this is Sean in Japan or maybe he just embodies the entire nation of Japan. Yeah. I'll read it for you.
0: I assume he's like he's related to the guy who's in charge and whoever's in charge in Japan, yeah.
1: right? Yes. Harvey Japan.
0: Yeah. The longtime. Venerated leader, Harvey Japan.
1: So Sage Northcutt is on his way to Asia. Odds are with a lateral move in his paycheck. I think one FC is the better option over Bellator, and I'll tell you why. Sage Northcutt is literally the Asian person's platonic ideal of what an American should be blonde, blue eyed, strikingly handsome, and kind of dumb, but in a nice way. The opportunity for him to get into commercials and on these ubiqui- ubiquitous panel shows all over East Asia is pretty much a lock. Do you see this move differently? Converse about it well, for a while. Why don't you? I am actually 100% in agreement with Sean Japan here. Kind of blew my mind just now. And it, like, if, you, if that's the way you're thinking about it, then there's a really good possibility that Sage Northcutt has a very bright future in front of him as – a guy who can go to Asia and be super successful. I'm
0: already picturing the array of bizarre fever dream commercials
1: he could be in, in Japan. hmm And I hope that's the way he's thinking. I hope that this was like a calculated move on team Northcutt's part, that they were like, oh, Sage, you're going to be huge in Japan, buddy. Let's just go do this. You'll be, uh, you'll be on the cover of every breakfast cereal in Japan.
0: Well, I mean, it still remains to be seen exactly how, how big one FC or one championship, whatever we're calling it now, is going to be in all Asian countries. Yeah. Uh, But I I think that there's definitely something to that. Like, hey, if it's not even – not just thinking of it in just the nation of Japan but in – like the city of Japan? The city of Japan. But just in like various Southeast Asian countries maybe, you think, okay, that market would be totally into a guy like Sage Northcutt. Yeah. There's a lot of people over there in one championship who he can probably beat up the competition's not going to be as stiff and he actually seemed in the last couple fights to be starting to turn into the fighter that the UFC was billing him as a few years ago the, the where it seemed like the UFC part of ways was he want he wants to be paid like the the thing you were trying to make him into yeah and you wanted us to believe in the thing but you didn't want to pay for the thing
1: which once again, the thing that the UFC said happened and the thing that seems like it actually happened are not the same. Well, yeah, you're, I mean,
0: and it's kind of galling to even to try to get us to believe the story of like, Hey, he's just too young and he needs more work. He's coming off a three fight winning streak. Like that's not the time where you can really make that argument. The time you can make the argument was way back when you signed him because you found him on the Dana White TV show. But, Honestly, I do hope that there are business minds behind Sage Northcutt who are thinking about it exactly the way Sean Japan lays it out and that we pretty soon get a commercial where he and Mark Coleman are shaving each other or something.
1: Did you see uh, out just before we started recording that they're saying 1FC is going to land an American broadcast deal here pretty soon? You don't say. And uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but I believe they said that it was going to be on... A network, like a, I think they said something like a premier network that currently carries American sports. Okay. Which could fuel. be. A, is that, fuel still around? It could be a lot of stuff, right? It could be up there on altitude. For Ion. We know.
0: What about, what's up with Ion these Ion days? Ion TV.
1: It is interesting to think, though, that there is a major American sports broadcaster that is about to lose its mixed martial arts programming. That's true. Secondly, since I've already started to be able to taste the savings... Of moving my cable package down so that all I have to get is ESPN, it would be a very MMA move for one FC to swoop in and suddenly show up on Fox Sports One.
0: Keep make you keep that platinum package. You yes,
1: you know it. The money just flying out of my wallet. Last question this week comes to us from Torin from Edmonton. They write: So Ryzen just announced a New Year's Eve super fight between the current Ryzen 135 pound champ. Kyoji, the supernova Horiguchi, and the current Bellator 135-pound champ, Darion, the wolf, Caldwell. This presents an interesting size matchup, experience matchup and style matchup, but looking past that for a second, this has me pondering something else. What the fuck happens after this fight? Since this is a Ryzen event, I ass- I must assume that only Ryzen belts. the only the Ryzen belt is up for grabs. If Horiguchi wins, do they then have a rematch in Bellator, so he gets a chance at the uh, new belt too? If Caldwell wins, does he... uh? Try to defend the Ryzen belt in Ryzen or vacate it immediately. Discourse if I, my dudes. So this is cool. This is cool. We yeah. are all high-fiving and in agreement that Caldwell going over to uh Ryzen and getting the blessing from Bellator to fight over there is a cool thing. And in fact, kind of makes you think that if anybody is going to challenge the UFC for dominance in the MMA marketplace. That collaboration is perhaps the way to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I really like the way they phrased it too, like Bellator putting out stuff on social media being like, mm-hmm. We're sending our guy over there to take that belt. Let's go get you another belt. I like you know, presenting it that way to fans. Like, hey, our guy's coming over there. Operation Belt Gank yeah. is in full effect. We're coming over there to take your stuff. I also though saw Scott Coker, uh, I think in ShareDog, I-, I saw a thing where he was saying and maybe he was saying it somewhere else, but I read it on SherDog about the plan is they work this out between Bellator and rise in like, Hey, if our guy takes your belt, there'll be a minimum number of times he has to defend it against your guys, whether it's him coming back over there or you sending one of your guys over there to Bellator to fight him for the belt and vice versa. Like we'll, you know, if somebody comes over and wins a Bellator belt, you have to put it up for grabs a certain number of times. If they can actually, you know, work together that way, and get that to work in practice the way they want it to work in theory, then I think it's a great thing for them. And it makes sense because neither one of you on your own is really making enough waves, especially in some of these weight classes. Uh, you work together. Now you have something that we're actually interested in. It feels like you've raised the stakes somehow by putting uh, you know another organization's belt on the line. It's still, I think, a little trickier to actually pull off, especially like over a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we remember what happened when the whole deal was there was going to be a fighter exchange between Pride and the UFC, and then that didn't quite work out the way it was supposed to. If they can make it work this way, I'm totally into it. The only thing you wonder is well, what about the rules? Because yeah. you go over to fight in Verizon, people might kick you in your damn face while you're laying on the ground, and you can't come over to Bellator and do it the same way, right. at least in the United States.
1: Not that we want to constantly predict the demise of the UFC, because frankly, the UFC has seemed downright impervious over its short life in the United States. But all of this stuff happening at once with Demetrius Johnson going over uh, to one FC and Sage Northcutt going to one FC and this thing between Ryzen and Bellator and some kind of cool looking tournaments on tap. And then, you know, the potential that a lot of flyweights are about to hit the streets. uh, It feels like something is happening. And frankly, I feel like we would be better off if, you know, the international MMA scene, came into its own uh, in in like the big time once again. But does it feel to you like there's, I don't want to say a shift, but like the potential for sort of like uh, international MMA to experience a renaissance here?
0: Well, a lot of the stuff that you just mentioned is stuff that is really only a, of appeal to the hardest of the hardcore fans. Right, but wasn't it always that way? Maybe. Uh, I mean, I do agree that MMA has always been at its best when there's competition. Yeah. Like the UFC was at its best, both when it was competing with pride. And then afterwards when strike force became a real thing that it had to compete with. And the UFC maybe in part, because of what we know about its corporate leadership and the kinds of people at the top there at the UFC, uh, when they consolidate power and feel like they've got a chokehold on the sport, it usually does not lead to anything good for the fans. It usually does not make the product better in the end. So I agree that having somebody out there that can really compete with it and force the UFC to think about what it can actually do to put on a better product is a good thing for everybody.
1: Yeah. I hope there's something happening. I hope 1FC finds itself a, a high-profile American broadcaster. I hope that all of this sort of like talent – uh, crossing from, from one side of the aisle to the other ultimately comes to something because I think it would be just just be cool, frankly. Yeah. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens, news always breaks, the newsletter itself is short, it's informative, we would love to tell you it's funny, and if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. been multiple interesting things happened over there at ufc fight night 142 in adelaide australia the heavyweight division is heating up a little bit here so i guess we should spend the first few minutes of this round talking about the two heavyweight fights that were up near the top of the card of this thing and then maybe the second half of this round we can talk a little bit about shogun's victory over tyson pedro uh first of all junior dos santos Goes out there, gets the win over Ty Tuivasa after experiencing some early adversity. And frankly, a fight that looked like it was going to be one of those less fun sort of Junior Dos Santos fights that we've seen for a while here. Where Junior Dos Santos starts making that face. Where he's getting beat up. The Junior Dos Santos beat up face.
0: And his head swells the size of a basketball.
1: He ends up kind of coming back to get the uh, second round TKO. Frankly, uh, in a way that made it look like his technical skill was just a little bit above and beyond what Tai Tuivasa was able to muster. So here we go. JDS, how back is he? Scale of 1 to 10, Ben Folks. How back did I say Francis Ngannou was? I believe you said 7.5. Okay. I'm going
0: to go 6.9.
1: Not quite as back.
0: Right. I think, I mean, I don't want to downplay the win here for Junior Dos Santos. It was a good win for him. And also... Uh, Is a, a significant win because as I was looking at his record, I realized this is the first actual winning streak he's had since he was defending the UFC heavyweight
1: title. Yep. First time he's won two in a row since 2012. Since then, it was lose one, win one there for several years. This is one of those things where it's like, how do you want to frame Junior Dos Santos's record? Do right. you want to say that he had a five hundred record between two thousand twelve and two thousand seventeen? Or do you want to say, hey man, he's three and one in his last four? With right. the only loss coming to Steven Miocic, who at right. the time was the champion. Well, and if you just look at all his losses,
0: you see that there are some good fighters in that bunch, you know, twice to Cain Velasquez. Wants to Alistair Overeem that's the one he wants to get back asking for that rematch after this win and then that fight to to Stipe uh but then again these last two wins i mean Blagoev even off like okay you you beat him uh and then to Ivasa who seems like you're right he's a good fighter tough guy hits hard but maybe needs a little more seasoning And it showed in the fight against Junior Dos Santos because he's just charging in there, not worried about what he's going to get hit with on the way in. Like fighting like a guy who doesn't think he can really be hurt. Yeah. by anything the other guy's going to do. like He doesn't care how many punches he has to eat on the way in because he's just going to do his damage once he gets there. And w- he was doing his damage once he got in there, but he just showed no respect to the power. And as you said, the technical skill of Junior Dos Santos in the second round, he finally walks right into that left hook, like a short counter left hook that he yeah. moves right into. And when he gets hurt with it, that's what, I mean, obviously maybe he's not really there entirely mentally after getting caught with that punch, but just kind of drifts a little bit of the ways away and then stops while you're still in junior Dos Santos's range yeah. and just clocks him.
1: And Dos Santos squared him up with a right hand, right? Didn't he threw a right and it kind of turned to Ivasa. He,
0: he threw the left hand and that's what turned him. Yeah. And that's, and that's when he he turned and he went as if to back out of the exchange, but then just kind of stopped and, and hung around there for too long And then the right hand put him down. Yeah. And, you know, he still was, he recovered fairly well, was still kind of trying to be in the fight. But when you're on bottom and mount and your solution is to try to punch the guy back from there. Yes. That tells us that maybe you don't have all the tools you need in the toolbox.
1: Yeah, which, and I feel like Tai Tuivas is a fun guy to have around. He is. 25 Uh, years old. I don't know that I would necessarily go with the super nonchalant. Oh man, I got this attitude that he kind of displayed leading up to the fight and then, frankly, during the fight. That's been his whole thing, though. Right, yeah, and he's a laid-back Aussie. Yeah. I know what we're doing here, <laughs> right? But uh, it, it it does make it, it's a little bit of extra salt in the wounds when you get TKO'd in this fashion by a guy who's just clearly kind of, like, superior to you technically. It's a tough night for Team Juggernaut Yeah, all the way around, uh, unfortunately. So, Ben, it seems to me like the, the six-inch putt is to put Junior Dos Santos and Francis Ngannou together now. That seems like a fight everyone's going to like. Two guys who are going to go out there and throw the heavy leather. You know, a quasi-marketable heavyweight fight. I don't know that that's the, you know, it's not a pay-per-view main event or anything like that, but it's a a good fight between two, like, uh, relevant heavyweights who could either vault their way, uh, you know, in theory into a title shot with a victory.
0: And if you act fast and everything lines up the way you want it to, you put that on the undercard of Daniel Cormier, Brock Lesnar, as a backup plan, in case something happens there, and then you've got, like, like that's a good co-main event pay-per-view bout, I mean, that's that's really going to make people have to buy the pay-per-view to see that one, and we all know, you put Daniel Cormier and Brock Lesnar together in, in a main event, there's a lot of ways that something could go wrong there, so you you might want to have those guys on deck.
1: Uh, let's talk about the other heavyweight fight just for a second. Justin Willis against Mark Hunt and what we are led to believe is likely Mark Hunt's last UFC fight. I believe he ended his uh, post-fight interview by saying something like, you'll see me somewhere else, and then he just kind of walked away. Uh, what to make, Ben, of the big pretty Justin Willis, uh, who's another dude who's out there acting super nonchalant about everything, but seems to have the stand-up skills to kind of back it up. Uh, he's eight and one now, four wins in a row in the UFC. The last two over Chase Sherman and and Mark Hunt didn't necessarily like put on a highlight reel performance against Mark no, Hunt. No, he did not. But he worked him pretty good. Uh, clearly had a speed advantage, maybe had a, a technique advantage, and just kind of kept peppering him with jabs and and hard shots in a way that near the end of this thing, well, I don't even know if near the end, I'll say the second half of this fight, Mark Hunt, maybe was already thinking about, where I'm going next.
0: Yeah, it did seem that way, didn't it? Like, I couldn't tell how much of it was maybe Mark Hunt, getting frustrated, with the kind of style that Justin Willis was bringing, because it was clear, that, your boy Big Pretty, had it in his head, do not stop moving and let yourself stand in front of Mark Hunt. Sure. Just going to jab and He's not circle. not a crazy man. No. Well, but you know, Mark Hunt has been able to draw people into that so well, so many times over his career, where he'll just kind of like put his hands down and invite you to come in there and think that you can uh, score some shots on him, and that's when he wants to fire back. But Justin Willis was not going for it. It was just circling and jabbing, circling and jabbing. And Mark Hunt just didn't really have an answer for that at all, and I couldn't tell if it was indifference if he just got frustrated and got out of his game but he didn't really even try too many different things to try to solve that problem it was just kind of like all right fine this is what you're gonna do let's get it over with then and he's just following around trying to lunge in every once in a while and justin willis is ready for that when it happens not even really trying to cut off the cage on him just following him around in these tight circles all night long it did make me wonder if it was if mentally Mark Hunt had already checked out That yeah. thing like where you know you you give your two weeks notice at a job and you know you'll show up, but you're not really doing a whole lot during those two weeks. you're already moved on to the next thing, and maybe that's how it is for him i I do wonder though what the next thing is for Mark Hunt because he said like you know he wants to have like five more fights or something like that uh if you're mark hunt. There are some places you could go yeah, in MMA right now where we're they we're would like to have your services. We're just talking about a couple of them,
1: right? Like it probably would not be a great surprise at all to see Mark Hunt show up in Ryzen or 1FC or frankly in the Bellator Senior Circuit depending on you know, what he wants to do. I'll say this.
0: If your plan is to go back to Japan and be like, hey, remember me? Remember you guys love me over here? I'm back here. I'm fighting in Ryzen on a weird New Year's Eve event. For a guy who is currently suing the UFC for continually putting up against guys who are using steroids, going to Ryzen on New Year's Eve wouldn't put you in a situation where you are less likely to fight someone who might be on the gear. That's true. Let's say that.
1: I can't wait for that commercial where Mark Hunt and uh, Sage Northcutt are eating breakfast cereal together, though. That's going to be amazing.
0: Yeah, just like crazy zooms in and out.
1: What, if anything, is there to make of Justin Willis a 31-year-old heavyweight, which is, is kind of like being 19 in any other division? Obviously, he hasn't fought a ton of dudes in the UFC, but Chase Sherman and Mark Hunt are uh, at least recognizable names. He's won eight fights in a row, all told. Uh w- like I said, this wasn't a thing where like you come away from this event being like, oh, my God, did you see the Justin Willis fight? Yeah. But at the same time, he seems like a relatively interesting person to have around.
0: Yeah, I need to see more is my conclusion. Jury's still out on that. I need to see him up against another top heavyweight who is still really in it. Uh, and let's see how he does there. against somebody who can bring a few more different looks to him and he can't just beat him with one simple game plan.
1: Then, Then maybe we'll know a little more. In the same way I said it's kind of all about how you frame Junior Dos Santos's win-loss record at this point, Ben, Mauricio Shogun Hua is 4-1 and one in his last five. Comes out there and gets this big win over Tyson Pedro, uh, who appeared to injure his ankle there in the third round. But at the same time, he was still getting it pretty good from Shogun Hua.
0: Well, by then he was. In the yeah. first round, though, didn't you feel like, oh, no.
1: Yeah, there was a little bit of a sinking feeling in my stomach. Yeah, And then, like, the replay showed that the strike that seemed to wobble Shogun was a clash of heads, which uh, didn't make me feel any better. It's kind of like, well, now Shogun's going to get beat by this weird headbutt, like inadvertent headbutt. So, uh, But yeah, man, like, are we feeling good for Shogun Hua? Like, to see him kind of experience this late career success? Or do we feel like it's only a matter of time before he gets beat up by another Anthony Smith-type fellow?
0: I feel that... When I see him have the success, I feel two things. I think, all right, good for Shogun. You know, seems like you want to see good things happen for Shogun. But then also, this is just going to encourage him, isn't it? Yeah. That's the next thing that comes to my mind. He, It's going to make him think, yeah, I'm still in this at light heavyweight, man. Give me, oh, you got some other killers lined up. Give me one of those guys. And then you get beat up by one of those guys. Especially when you hear him talking like, all right, hey, maybe one more win. And I, we're talking about a title fight. Oh, God, yeah. please no.
1: Well, that's the thing. He was like, I don't deserve a title fight yet. And we were all like, mm-hmm, yep, that's that's Right. Then he was like, maybe one more win. And we were all like,
0: oh. But then the thing that makes me even more cringy about it is the sheer plausibility of that scenario. Yeah. That Shogun Hua does go out there, manage one more win, and then the UFC's like, well, we're a lot of ideas at light heavyweight. Why not have Shogun Hua fight for the title? And man, I just, it seems like that guy has taken a ton of damage already in his career, and he just charges headfirst in search
1: of more of it. Still younger than me. Every time I look at his Wikipedia page. In I'm chronological age only. Surprised he hasn't caught up with me yet. <laughs> Still only 37. You know, one right? of these
0: days you're gonna check it. You're gonna you know, six weeks from now you'll check it, it'll be fifty-two.
1: There we go. That's what I'm waiting for. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, have you seen these social media posts this week? Of people over at the Jackson Winklejohn MMA team shooting a damn flamethrower. Yes, I have. You know they they were shooting that thing inside, right? (laughs) Yes. Are you fucking kidding me? The whole time I'm watching this, I was like, Do they know they just that's a new facility? They just (laughs) built that a couple years ago. Guys are shooting a flamethrower in there. It looked like everybody got a turn too. Yeah, except the two guys who weren't around. (laughs) The guys who own the business, right? Well, are you saying maybe
0: the Are You Fucking Kidding Me is what's going on down there that Mike Perry can film an entire culturally insensitive Native American bit where he's like in the cage with a fog machine shooting arrows and stuff making his promo. But the next thing you know, people are in there shooting flamethrowers off in the building.
1: Yeah, inside, let's just say again, Greg Jackson's off training the Delta Force and Mike Winklejohn is doing CrossFit with Holly Holm and everybody's like, Let's get the flamethrower out! You fucking kidding me?
0: You know this wouldn't have happened back when Julie Kedzie was the gym manager around there.
1: Yeah, she'd come running through there with a fire extinguisher or something, <laughs> telling, talking about how this was a new facility. Then <laughs> what's was your what's your are you fucking kidding
0: me? For well, this week? we mentioned earlier about uh, Dana White saying, "Hey, Kamara Usman might have jumped up there and stolen Colby Covington's title shot." Uh, the uh, the reasoning he used there, in part. Nothing's guaranteed in life, man. Nothing's guaranteed. Meanwhile, at the same post-fight press conference after the tough finale, Dana White also said that, hey, he, Anderson Silva is totally right. He did promise him if he beats Israel Adesanya, he gets a middleweight title shot. So that's, that's set in stone, says the guy who just told us that nothing's guaranteed in life.
1: Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you not worried about that if you're Anderson Silva? Your thing is guaranteed, right? Right. Better get that shit on paper. Sign that on the hood of someone's car in an alley, out behind the tough gym. (laughs) That's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
0: Well, Chad. The long saga of the UFC women's flyweight title is about to get its next chapter. Valentina Shevchenko, Joanna Jędrzejczyk, formerly known as Joanna Champion, perhaps futurely known as Joanna Champion again, they're going to go at it in the co-main event of UFC 231 this weekend in Toronto. And now does it feel like, all right, we're going to the place this division always wanted to go. We've dropped the pretense of doing anything else. We're just saying, the hell with it. Shevchenko, Janjacek, let's get it on.
1: Yeah, it feels like a reboot. Like uh, if you came up to Dana White after this thing was over and asked him about Nico Montano, he'd be like, I don't know who that, I don't recognize that name. Is that a person? Was that like a performance artist who did one of the walkout songs? Is Is that a person I should know? Is that a Logan Paul somebody? Here is my question, Ben. It seems like the UFC has done everything they possibly could to get Valentina Shevchenko into this women's flyweight title fight and frankly having her fight Joanna Jędrzejczyk is awesome like nobody's going to complain about that it's a really compelling matchup of styles that I hope we will talk about in a minute but it kind of seems like Valentina Shevchenko who I was surprised to find out is like a 3 to 1 favorite yeah nearly a 4 to 1 favorite in this fight is the person that the UFC wants that strap on which kind of surprises me like, I understand the various ways Valentina Shevchenko may be marketable in the MMA bubble. But at the same time, like, maybe it's just that I have never considered her that uh, that seriously or just, like, have not given her the proper time of day. But now that we're, like, we're all supposed to be super into Valentina Shevchenko, I'm sort of like, huh, okay. I'm not opposed to that, but I just hadn't thought about it.
0: I guess the question would be, if you're looking around at the women's flyweight division, who did you think that the UFC was going to pick and be like, okay, that person?
1: Well, are there any other women's flyweights at this point, or are we just sort of pick and choosing at this point? Because these are, you know, you had a bantam weight and a straw weight coming up here to fight for the 125 pound well, title. Well,
0: I mean, but there are plenty, there are a lot of fighters where they fought at flyweight before, and, you know, maybe they filtered into one of those two weight classes because that was what you had. Right. So it's not like there's no 100, women's 125 pound fighters to choose from. But I do think Shevchenko checks a lot of the boxes for the UFC. Yeah. And also, you put her in a fight with Yueni and Jacek. If your worst case scenario is that Yueni and ends up holding another UFC title, that ain't so bad. Yeah,
1: this is kind of like a no-lose situation for them now at 125 pounds, which is ironic when you think about how the you know the first year of the women's flyweight division went, that now they, they get themselves into this fight where it seems like they'll be set no matter who wins or loses. Uh, I talked to Valentina Shevchenko this week for a feature that's kind of come out on Bleacher Report this week. I had not really thought this through until I I sat down to, like, look at what's been going on with her. But, man, it would seem to me like she has had kind of a frustrating year because you get this uh, flyweight division, which in theory should be Valentina Shevchenko's natural weight class now that it exists. She fights back in February, if you'll recall, with an absolute layup against Priscilla Casuera, and then nothing for a long time. You remember she's supposed to fight Nico Montano in September. That thing got called off. At the last possible minute when Montano got hospitalized during her weight cut. And then we kind of went back and forth between a, t- a couple different opponents. It was supposed to be a J chick. Then it was going to be C R A U banks. And now it's j chick again. They went back and forth uh, with a couple of different dates, a couple of different events. So Valentina Shevchenko has essentially been in her fight camp since like midsummer, just like thinking she was going to fight in September.
0: Maybe one of the things that the USC likes about her is her down for whateverness as this goes.
1: Yeah, and that is if I had to describe Valentina Shevchenko in a few words, it might in fact be down for whatever. Yeah. Because she clearly is. Well, Including, I don't know, getting in a shootout at a restaurant in Peru with when her uh she and her coach were having dinner and some some dudes came in there and tried to rob the place. And Pavel Fedotov, who's been Valentina Shevchenko's coach since she was like five years old, was like no big deal. I'll just pull out my gun and get into a shootout, get shot in the stomach. What? Come and, on. And she is also a competitive shooter. Yeah. You? yeah. She's a, like a champion shootist <laughs> in uh, various, uh, organizations that she told me about. And I went, mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. clearly. ISPCA or whatever yeah. it is. Oh, oh yeah. I'm very familiar with their Definitely. work.
0: Definitely. Well and that's why whenever I see some other fighter and there's some other uh women's fighter who I can't remember her name who also mm. tried to adopt the bullet nickname, I'm like, okay, look. Valentina Shevchenko, not only competitive shooter, has a gun tattoo, uh, coach was shot during a shootout in a restaurant. Like she's got you on every level here. She yeah. she owns the bullet nickname.
1: Yes. She has been on the cover of something called Gun Cult Magazine.
0: Gun Cult Magazine, huh?
1: For a while this How week... How
0: are they
1: doing? <laughs> for a while this week, I was doing the thing where I was working at a coffee shop, and one of my tabs on my browser was Gun Cult Magazine, and I kept being looking around being like, it's for work, you guys. It's for work. <laughs> I'm going to read you... Uh, An article from Gun Cult Magazine? <laughs> yes. I bet the
0: editorials are just straight
1: <laughs> fire. Word, word for word. This is uh, Pavel Fedotov, the longtime coach. He told this to Thomas Gerbasi from UFC.com in 2017. But I think it's like kind of an awesome quote just to let you know where everybody's coming from here. This is about uh, Valentina Shevchenko when she first started training at uh, for Pavel Fedotov's team. Valentina was a brave little girl. She could fight without fear with girls and boys who were heavier and more experienced. Sometimes a strong punch could stop her, but she would stand up and start to fight again. Sometimes she was crying, but still fighting again and again with the same intensity. Okay. There you go. That's what you're getting if you're going uh, going over there to Pavel Fentav's gym if you are one of the Shevchenko girls.
0: Do you think that she rolls through Ioannia you know, and Jacek quite the way odds makers think?
1: I think it's an interesting matchup of styles because basically you've got two really good strikers, both of whom have fought each other in Muay Thai three times before, and Valentina Shevchenko won all three of them, although... Uh, Joanna Yadjic is a different physical presence now than I think she was back in those old school uh, Muay Thai days. Valentina Shevchenko is like kind of a, she's a counter puncher obviously and she doesn't throw a ton of volume. So what she's going to try to do is like counter punch Joanna Yadjic and, and hopefully knock her out or stop her in some way. And we all know what Joanna Yadjic does. She's going to throw so many punches that you just can't even believe it. So, like I think Valentina Shevchenko, if her power if she can make her power count against Joanna Yajic, uh, who obviously has been stopped by with punches twice in a row now, right, by uh Rosnama Yunis, or at least dropped uh by Rose Yunis. Yeah, the uh the second one's a decision. Right. Uh I think it'll be a good night for Shevchenko. I think if she cannot do that, then she's just gonna get overwhelmed by uh the pace of Joanna Yajik. Uh if Joanna jachik Yajic- doesn't win this then what that's a tough spot for her because she's in like kind of a surprisingly precarious position here considering you know how deeply ensconced it felt like she was as the women's strawweight champion uh not too long ago
0: yeah and how the hardcore fan base seemed to have this great reverence for yuani and jay chick she was just kind of a favorite of all the mma heads everybody liked yuani and jay chick she's 14 and 0 then maybe She started to seem like a little bit too much of a bully against Rose Namajunas. Maybe the intensity wasn't quite as fun for people in that one. She lost the surprising uh, first round TKO, then lost the rematch in what was just absolutely a hell of a fight. Uh, Wins one against Tisha Torres in a kind of careful performance where it was kind of like she knew she needed to get a win under under her arm there, and she did. but then vaults right into this title fight with Valentina Shevchenko. If you lose, then suddenly you're one and three in your last four with failed title bids in two different divisions. Like it, it's a lot of pressure there.
1: Yeah. In some ways, if you lose, if you're Valentina Shevchenko, or I mean, I'm sorry, if you're Joanna Yajicic, like uh, you're out of options, at least in the immediate. Like, obviously you can keep fighting and and get yourself back into title contention fairly quickly. But like you said, you come up short in title opportunities in a couple of different weight classes. It's not like you can pull a Uriah Faber here and just like keep getting title opportunities after title opportunities. I think that, uh, you know, Joanna Yajicic will be out of, out of runway at that point in, you know, at least in the immediate, I think that the worst thing that could happen for yeah you know, this is going to sound like a super obvious statement, but like if she gets knocked out by Valentina Shevchenko or finished with strikes, uh, because then you will have a situation where this person who seemed so good for the first several years of her UFC career has seemed, uh, really vulnerable to strikes in her last several appearances, at which point, the MMA community is probably going to have to start asking itself some tough questions about one of its favorites about, you know, what kind of chin she has left and how long she can soldier on with this fighting style that she was once so, so good at.
0: Uh, how much of a, uh, motivating factor do you expect this to be for people this this fight being on this card we talked about it we suggested this one to the the listener who wrote in about trying to get his girlfriend to become a shit-eating wild woman for mma and we said this card is the one to sit her down for because not only do you have brian ortega versus max holloway in the main event which we'll talk about in round three but you also have this fight it's the co-main event do you think that there's a lot of people like who are clued in enough to this fight that they're going, okay, I want to see this one enough. It's the thing that's going to send me over the edge to buy the pay-per-view. Or do you think that the, the drama with women's flyweight has been such that it kind of feels like we're just trying to go ahead and get a title fight over with at this point?
1: Um, I don't think that UFC 231 is going to be like a huge crossover success. I don't think anyone is really expecting it to be that. I don't think it's going to score a huge buy rate, but this one Ben is for the heads because this is an awesome fight card all the way around. You know, you can't like the two matchups at the top of the card, Shevchenko versus Yadjic and Holloway versus Ortega, which we'll talk about here in a couple minutes, uh, are hard to beat in terms of like a pure MMA matchup of styles. And then you look down the card and it's got, uh, recognizable supporting characters like Gunnar Nelson and Jimmy Manua, Jessica I, Elias Theodoro, your boy, EA, Eric your, Anders. Your boy, your boy Eric, your boy Anders. Yeah, he's gonna uh he's actually fighting Elias Theodoro on this card. So like a resur you know, he's gonna resurface. OAM is on this card. OAM, the Canadian gangster? So there's a lot of stuff. Like if you are a shit eating wild man, this this one is for you. It's yeah. not necessarily for Uh, the guy at Buffalo Wild Wings that just wants to know when Lesnar's fighting next.
0: Yeah. You had me at OAM.
1: All right. That's going to do it for round number two. We're going to talk Holloway versus Ortega coming up in round number three. And that starts right now. Well, Ben, I talked to... Friend of the podcast, Patrick Wyman. This past week, uh, MMA analyst extraordinaire. How's he doing? He's doing great. That's good to He's hear. Just on Jeopardy, as I'm sure yeah, you know. Yeah, I saw him. Didn't didn't emerge victorious, but nonetheless, that's pretty badass. I
0: think he got screwed with the categories, personally. Yeah,
1: wasn't the final like musicals or something yeah. like that. See, the answer not, was Brigadoon. Yeah, see, that's not in my wheelhouse either. Uh, he told me essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, but that Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega is like the crown jewel of sheer matchup of styles MMA fight for the year that Holloway versus Ortega is just a towering home run. And frankly, I agree with him. It's a hell of a fight. It's a crackerjack. You got two super likable dudes, uh, who have styles that appear to complement each other in a way that I think will produce an exciting fight who you got and how does it go?
0: Who you got is a tough question here. It I could is. talk myself into seeing several different kind of fights and several different kind of outcomes. Uh, however, all things being equal,
1: assuming everybody enters this in full health, which is a question, right? As I'm sure we'll discuss in a minute,
0: uh, I go with Max Holloway mainly because I think he can just do more things. I think Brian Ortega. I mean, even though Brian Ortega, he you know he got that that win over Frankie Edgar, where you're like, okay, he does have some power on the feet. He knocked Frankie Edgar up off his feet. Uh, Not just a submission specialist, maybe after all, but I still think that as a full, well rounded game, Max Holloway has him beat in that area.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Although I will say, one of the things that makes this fight compelling to me is that Max Holloway is super busy and he pressures, and he pressures, and he pressures. And Brian Ortega, who we've seen, you know, pull a rabbit out of his hat a few times in terms of getting victories down the stretch in fights where it seemed like maybe he was headed for a decision loss. He's got the equivalent of one punch knockout power in his submission game. He's got like home run submissions. And so one of the things that I think is interesting here is that I don't have a hard time believing that Max Holloway could win 24 minutes of this fight. But if you told me that Brian Ortega choked him out in the final minute, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense too. So I agree with you. I think if you are, if you got $20, you never want to see again. Holloway is your guy, but Brian Ortega is like the epitome of super dangerous. Well, that's
0: what one of the things that makes it such a good fight. Not only do both guys just absolutely deserve to be right here at this point in their career and have a bunch of different things that they can do well, and, and uh, interesting ways that this fight can go, is that you can definitely see how Max Holloway might control the exchanges and yet always be... At least a little bit in danger. And then there is the legitimate question mark of like what kind of
1: condition Max Holloway is going to be coming in. That's correct, because he was recently poisoned. Dun dun dun.
0: Well, I don't know if he's exactly said the words poisoned.
1: Okay. Dun dun dun. What I read was. There's intrigue swirling here, Ben. There's
0: some intrigue. I read an interview where he said that he's still trying to figure out what went wrong the last time this fight was booked and. You know He's showing up and doing interviews and everybody's like, oh, is the weight cut getting to him? Was it post-concussion syndrome? Did he take some hard hits in sparring? What? And he's really shot down those explanations. He keeps saying "You know, doctors have no answer for him about what happened. And I saw an interview Mysterious. where he was saying that everything was fine until he had his first meal in Vegas.
1: Dun-dun-dun. Oh,
0: you're just going to keep doing that on fight week. Poison. And then things started to go downhill.
1: Poison most foul.
0: Now – As you pointed out when we were discussing this before the show, he wouldn't be the first person to have a meal in Vegas and then have some things go wrong.
1: Yeah, it doesn't take a conspiracy against you to get poisoned, quote unquote, (laughs) by a meal in Vegas. Though, in fairness,
0: he's probably not eating at the same buffets that you and I are. I don't know
1: about that. You don't think Max Holloway is going to roll down to the uh, whatever that breakfast place in the MGM Grand is and fill up his plate?
0: You think Max Holloway gets in the town Las Vegas on fight week? His first order of business is the champagne brunch down at the Mandalay Bay.
1: I mean, if he says he's good, he's been, he got, he got sick, poison, uh, I don't I don't know what else he could be implying. Unless in- it's an inside job. The most
0: intriguing part of this for me is that he said that he has hired an investigator.
1: You know who we ought to get? Who? MMAPI Curtis Blades. <laughs> okay. He should be on the case here for Max Callaway. Yeah. Figuring out uh, what exactly happened with the food. I guess
0: whoever John Jones got to try to figure out how those steroids ended up in the system, don't get that person because they did not seem to turn up any results.
1: It sounds like there's a real niche here that needs to be filled uh, with like an MMA-focused private investigative agency.
0: Yeah. I I mean – There's
1: a couple guys sitting at this table right now. uh Uh-huh. Probably need a little help with their retirement funds. Maybe we uh, go down to the courthouse and see what it takes to get a license.
0: Oh, a license? <laughs> you want to do unlicensed? I mean, I feel like if we're, if our clientele is going to be MMA fighters...
1: That's true. They're probably not asking a ton of questions. Yeah, they're probably that. not
0: asking, are we bonded and insured here? Yeah. I, the the key is going to be stringing these investigations out as long as possible and getting paid up front.
1: See, I'm, uh, I want concealed carry. That's what I'm interested in here. We well, live in Montana, so concealed carry
0: basically means you just strap a gun to your hip and walk out the door.
1: Valentina Shevchenko spent a long time telling me about her Glock, and now I'm super interested. Going to have to get one of those bad boys for when we open up this private investigative offense. What do you mean, spent a long time? I mean, for a little while, she talked to me about how her Glock is her favorite gun. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Why? Why? Next stop, shoulder holster for Chad Dundas. (laughs) Nine millimeter. Pre-Brady, staggered magazine, 15-shot clip. I don't. You I got your back. That's what I'm saying, man. You don't got to worry. You seem
0: like more of like a Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon revolver kind of guy.
1: Okay, that as long as it's super long, I could get into that. <laughs> I got a 357 Magnum, Grizzly Winchester Magnum. I got your back. It's what I'm saying. I'm Basically, ready for, I'm ready for this.
0: We just need to feed Max Holloway enough like updates on his case to get him to keep paying the bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: A lot of new leads have come to light. Yeah. We're so going to be chasing those down here. That's
0: right. Yeah. There's a shadowy figure named Mr. Big who we're after. Uh, we don't know the full extent, but if you just pay the next week's retainer, we'll get right after it.
1: These guys both strike me as the two sort of fighters that kind of get stronger as this thing goes on. I wonder if we are headed for a, uh, I mean, I hope, fingers crossed, we are headed for like a 25-minute war here. or if
0: That's if, kind of the way I see it going. Yeah. But... You're right that at any point, you know, Max Holloway, he's known to be one of those guys where, especially the punches start flying, he's feeling it. The, you know, he hears the band he's going to dance a little (laughs) bit. And that's one of the things that makes him a lot of fun to watch, especially like when he really kind of grew into his full confidence. And you see him in those fights with Jose Aldo, and he's really feeling it. And it does make me wonder could you. Finds yourself with some early success picking Brian Ortega apart because as we saw like even in that Cub Swanson fight that he had there are openings with Brian Ortega on the feet is Max Holloway going to go out there start finding those openings get a little overconfident and then the next thing you know you're in a damn guillotine
1: you never know that's out there that possibility is out there
0: I'm saying this right now if you do get Max Holloway in a choke uh, I think you're gonna have to put him to sleep oh absolutely absolutely I don't think I don't think you're getting him to tap to give up his featherweight title.
1: Uh, we don't have much time to talk about it, but I just want to say that Gunnar Nelson against the other Cowboy Alex Oliveira is also a fun fight. It's I will going watch down that on the main pay per view card of this thing. All right, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week, Ben. What is your just saying stuff?
0: You know, sometimes I read. MMA stories through this like news aggregator thing that I use where it just like shows you headlines from all the you know usual suspect and sites. You just kind of keep abreast of what's happening. Um, and then sometimes as I'm scrolling through it, I just see headlines where I'm immediately just like, Nope. <laughs> Mm-mm. Don't not only do I not want to read this story that goes with it. I don't even want this headline to exist. Uh, for example, one I saw today, T. Ortiz responds to Chel Sonin, quote, You want me to kick your ass again? I'm just saying, nope. Nope. Not even interested in seeing where this goes. Not interested in seeing what's happened there. No. New, 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 Okay. New. New.
1: This is interesting because I'm just saying. my just saying stuff is also a nope. Okay. We we did not discuss this prior to recording. No, we didn't. But this is like a one-two puncher because I also have... The thing we're just saying is no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this week we're just saying no because I also have an MMA headline that when I read it, my response is nope. Okay. BJ Penn signs new four-fight deal with UFC. No. No. Nope. I'm just saying no, BJ. Mm Mm-mm. Nope. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. No way, no day. Nope. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Tune in next week. We'll talk about all the stuff that happens at UFC 231. And we might even start to look ahead. Rage and Al's coming up. Oh, boy. He's uh, got himself a rematch with uh, Kevin Lee, I believe. Yeah, that's going down December 15th. I'm into that. Me too. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Um...
0: You know, the one thing that we have to get to work on is a name for this detective.
1: And okay, what kind of car would you have? Ferrari, I'm thinking.
0: Well, we might want to go something a little lower profile. Dodge Charger. So we can Mustang. just kind of blend in.
1: Yeah, Mustang. Lime Green Mustang.
0: Okay, well, that's a maybe. Maybe Oldsmobile? Cutlass Supreme? Yeah. Okay. A, a lot of, a lot of a fast food wrappers on the
1: floorboard. Floor. We're going to go to the, uh, whatever car lot PIs buy their cars and that's what they got in the Buick. Yeah. Comfy. We won't be
0: hurting for comfort. Then we're going to have to go buy some hats. Specialty hats. Uh-huh.
1: Fedora. A couple fedoras. Maybe a tangle shanter.
0: Newsboy. we go newsboy with it. Yeah.
1: I'm going to get a feather in my cap.
0: You got to earn that. Okay,
1: well, I don't know what you